Hello, fellow innovators. This is Patrick Emmons. And this is Shelley Nelson. Welcome to the Innovation and the Digital Enterprise Podcast. Adam, thank you so much for joining us. It's such an honor to have you on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Yes. Um, And you and I go way back. I think we initially met through Genesis Works. You've done so much in terms of innovation for the city of Chicago, and I know we have so many different things we could talk about. But I'd love to start with Genesis Works because that's how we met, and you've made such an impact in that organization on their board of directors. Oh, thank you. Um, so you you want me to talk a little bit about Genesis Works? Yeah. Genesis Works is a really interesting and unique program, and it exists in Chicago, but it exists in other cities as well. And the whole idea is to take students who would otherwise not get the opportunity to work in a corporate environment, the skills that they need, both the professional skills and some of the hard skills, to go into a corporate environment in an internship during the school year after they've mastered the skills in the summer. So if you think about summer internships, think of this in the reverse. In the summer, they take these students, they put them through the training that they need to be effective in jobs, and then they place them in jobs around the city. And some of the organizations that have taken internships go run the gamut to every industry. We've had people at Accenture. We've had people at Kirkland and Ellis, TransUnion, the city of Chicago, all over the place. And these students are both learning and providing value to these organizations. So everybody wins and we're building that next generation of 21st century skills. And uh, you yourself have been in Chicago your whole life, correct? You went to Niles West and then attended U of I, and now you're getting your master's in data science at DePaul? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a Chicagoan through and through, born here, raised here, and I'll die here. Hopefully not before <laughs> this podcast is aired. I will. And with Microsoft, you've been there over 27 years. And again, we could talk for hours about the impact you made on the city, but can you share some highlights from your career at Microsoft? Uh, well, when you've had 10,000 great days, how do, you, how do you pick one of them as a highlight? Um, my career right now is doing social impact, and I've been doing that for about five years. Prior to that, I ran what's called the Microsoft Technology Center Chicago, which is a facility and some really, really smart people that help our customers apply technology to their business challenges and business opportunities. And prior to that, you know, I spent most of my career building technical teams. It's just such a great place to build your career and such a great place to find great talent um, that it's really easy to enjoy what you do. Nice. Speaking of talent in Chicago, how do you respond when people say it's really hard to get people from the East Coast or the West Coast to stay in Chicago? in the tech space? Well, I don't think it's hard to get them to stay here once they get here. I think it's hard to, it's harder to get them to make their careers here to begin with. Um, 
I think there's what people need to understand when they're coming out of college is what Chicago has to offer because, you know, not, we, we don't talk about that enough. Uh, Chicago is a great place to build a business and it's also a great place to build your career. You have access to, um, if you want to further your education, you have access to great universities, Northwestern, DePaul, University of Illinois, Chicago, uh, Illinois Institute of Technology, everywhere. There's great learning opportunities. You have access to companies in every industry. No industry has more than 13% of the employment share, as the mayor likes to say. Uh, so if you want to do financial services, we have that. You want to go into retail, we have that. You want uh, advanced manufacturing, healthcare, tech, you know, it, it's here. So there's the diversity of industries. And then the last thing is, is that it's just, it's a great place to live and a great place to play. And um, it's still affordable, way more affordable than either coast. Um, and it's, it's, it's like living out in the coast, except you really would want to live here. <laughs> well said. I do think I, I have a, a quick question because I think it's uh, very interesting when you think about like the different industries, um, supply chain, transportation, logistics. Is that, you know, I, I know there's, uh, that's maybe not the, the most sexiest topics to talk about, but it is a large part of our history and, and how Chicago became successful is, is that something you see people investing in heavily and finding new ways to take that type of industry into the next century? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, you mentioned the logistics um, sector. There are, there are new logistics companies coming up all the time. And Chicago is a great place for this because we are the traditional center and focal point for the country for transportation and logistics. You know, all the trains ran through here. If you take a look at where the economy is going, where the transportation economy is going, it's going to getting things to places faster, safer, and more efficiently. So you start to see a lot of business that are coming up like that. And it wasn't that long ago that Coyote Logistics was a startup. And mm -hmm. you know, now it's a very, very well-established company. There's other companies like that. And the other thing is that Chicago is not afraid to experiment with new models, not just new business models, but new policy models. And um, in the City Tech Collaborative here in Chicago just launched their advanced mobility initiative to take a look at what the next three years of experimentation should look like around transportation. And a lot of that is around how do you manage the new ways of moving people and goods around. So I think that our legacy, um, we're fortunate that it was in that space because that's now another future economic stream for us. Yeah, I, I hear you. And, uh, it, and it's interesting because I think there's been a lot of talk about the you know, long haul drivers are going to be out of business, but there's a complete shortage of those resources as well. I you know, it seems like the the shortage of talent isn't just in the technical side, but very much so on the on the non technical side. Uh, obviously, being from Chicago, living on the south side, a lot of union friends and uh, a lot of unions struggling to find talent as well. Is that something that's really at the forefront of what you see on the city's mind uh, from like a developing not just the technical talent, but some of the 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 physical talents that we need to be successful at that for that next next step. 
Absolutely. I, I'm on also on the city's, uh, city and county's workforce board. It's called the Chicago Cook Workforce Partnership. And one of the things that we look at is how do you go from what used to be a degree and diploma focused labor market to a skills based labor market? And it speaks to exactly what you were just talking about when you're hiring. Um, the, the new way of hiring is hiring for the skill, not necessarily for the diploma. And what's key to that, if you want to stay relevant in the economy, is to becoming a lifelong learner and to having opportunities um, to be taught those new skills, to grow with things in the transportation industry and in the hospitality industry and in the retail industry and all of these traditional re um, industries that are becoming anything but traditional. So, Adam, I'm sure a lot of folks in Chicago who are in the startup space are looking to people like you for a mentorship. What do you say when you're approached by these folks? What's, what are your first questions, I guess? Well, my space is really in the social impact space. So I get um, exposure to a lot of really good, passionate people that are doing things that are civic and nonprofit. When somebody asks me a, about their approach to creating a new social impact startup, the first thing I want to know is, is there somebody already doing something similar enough to this that they shouldn't be starting a whole new nonprofit? Um, the last thing that you want to do is to fragment the work that's being done in the social impact space because mm -hmm. then you're impacting fewer people with fewer resources. And then the second thing that I'll do is um, make sure that they, they are going into this space of their choosing with very clear eyes about what they can accomplish who they can accomplish it for, and where they can start. Because I, uh, I see too often people wanting to solve. I, I had somebody saying to me that they were going to start a nonprofit that was going to solve poverty in Chicago. And I said, okay, specifically what? And they said, well, I just said poverty in Chicago. I'm like, okay, let's, let's throttle that back a little bit and unpeel what you really want to do. I, I encourage people who are starting up something new to make sure that it really is something new and to make sure that even if it is something new that they have the relative partners in place. I was wondering, you know, we just had a recent election here in Chicago. Uh, obviously as a person like you have lived here with the exception of four years in green Bay, Wisconsin, which we won't speak of. <laughs> oh, I never, no, no, I don't. Well, that that, was that me. wasn't me. I was, I, yeah, that was me. Oh, that was you. And, uh, <laughs> We should have to it was 91. It was it was good times to be in Green Bay as a Bear fan. Uh, that changed shortly after they had this guy from Louisiana show up and cause a lot of problems. Nobody likes him. <laughs> um, but I guess uh, one of the questions I have is like, it seems like with this last election, there's a there's a, a lot of things changing in the Chicago land area, right? I think uh, Mayor Lightfoot is, you know, her victory uh, demonstrated an appetite for change. Uh, you know, she, she's kind of the, you know, the unknown. Do you see things? And I guess, what are some of the positives that you're seeing out of 
uh, some of this more active participation, more looking for, you know, uh, results from our from our local civic governments. Is there is that something that's showing up on the on the innovation side where people are understand? Are they seeing a mandate of sorts uh, to really create uh, even more efficient government, more effective, more cost effective? I guess I'll, I'll leave it at that kind of question. Anytime you have a change in government, you have an opportunity, government leadership, you have an opportunity to keep the good things and improve on the areas that need to be improving. Now, let's keep in mind that she hasn't actually started yet. She hasn't, you know, the inauguration hasn't happened. She hasn't pulled together her full team yet. They're going through a transition uh, teams right now. I know the people that that make up that transition team, and they they are very thoughtful, compassionate, empathetic people who believe in equity and believe in Chicago. So for that, I am very, very optimistic. I I do think that you get the sense that she is a very different candidate than what we're used to. Well, I mean, let's be frank. We're not really used to campaigns like there was. No. (laughs) No. I'll, I'll admit that I'm 52 years old, and in my 52 years here, I'd say you know 40 of them were with somebody named Daly and someone named Rom, and so there wasn't a lot of real hardcore campaigning, and so Chicagoans got a really good glimpse of what that looked like with a very large slate of candidates. I had coffee with one of the candidates today, and asked him what he learned. And we could have had, we could have talked all day about the things that he learned, as all the candidates probably had. And I think that what you're going to see is a, now that we, you know, Ram has done some wonderful things. He's brought a lot of technology here. He's brought a lot of jobs here. I think that you're going to now see the focus start to shift on what can we do in the neighborhoods that start to build the economic opportunity from within. I mean, that was pretty much what that's pretty much what Laurie um, campaigned on. And uh, ironically enough, you brought up a good point. I was actually at our parish's uh, trivia night, and one of the questions was: over the last forty-nine years, how many years was the mayor not named Daly? What was the answer? I think it was thirty-seven. I'm <laughs> going to be honest; I was having a lot of fun at the uh, trivia night, so I knew I got that one wrong. So we we didn't really. I also. Didn't realize uh, Shepard was the first man into orbit. I thought it was John Glenn. So that one, I I would have lo- I would have lost that one too. Yeah, it seemed a little unfair, you know. But uh, we moved on. We recovered. They, I got banished and sent to a different table. But that's okay. You, know? <laughs> you were that guy. I, <laughs> somebody's got to be that guy. Well, I guess, and that also kind of leads, and thank you for that awesome answer. And I, I, th- I think a lot of people share the excitement that you see, I guess, at the state level as well with new leadership there, uh, is that, you know, obviously, Governor-elect Pritzker is definitely somebody who's coming with more of a technology background than than what would be considered a traditional candidate. Uh, is that is that something, is the expectation there? And I think you mentioned P33. Is that the group that you were referring to before? Um, no, but we could talk about P33. Um, so oh, okay. Let's let's talk about um, JB first. Awesome. So um, Governor Pritzker has a legacy that indicates that he gets 
tech. He gets startups. He understands the opportunity. He was the uh, one of the original people that came up with the concept and the funding for 1871. And if you think about where that started and where it is today, it's as, it's, it's astronomical. It's, it's the, the the company, the group that measures university affiliated startups, UBI, listed 1871 as the top incubator in the world. Wow. So he gets startups, he gets tech. He has his ideas about um, economic development and you know we're gonna we're gonna see what happens out of that, but um, I'm really optimistic about where we can take the state, not just the city, but where we can take the state. He's got a he's got some great people in his organization too. Later this week, I'm going to be talking to his uh, Department of Commerce and Economic Opportunity. Um, the people that are in that space are also, first of all, from the tech and startup space, but also from the civic tech space. So mm-hmm. that tells me he's thinking about equity too. Oh, that's great. That's great. And I, I, it is going to be an interesting decade to see, you know, it, it's interesting in, in government overall throughout the country. We see a lot of non-traditional politicians getting involved and it'll be interesting to see uh, how that type of government, I think there's some obvious concerns about having people who don't know how government works. Uh, and at the same point in time, I think there's some excitement around, yeah, they don't know how government works, right? They know how other things work. And maybe that's a good, you know, I just think about the uh, the old uh, Reese's Peanut Butter Cup commercial, right? The Frankenstein bumping into the vampire, <laughs> right? Two great tastes that taste great together. So You bumped into my chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> You're really aging all of us, Patrick. That's it. That's it. Two great tastes that taste great together. A uh, quick side note, uh, we were talking the other day and like uh, I was driving my kids back from a game over the weekend and they were they saw a payphone and they're like, why is that there? And I, I explained that to them and then the, the story came up about some commercial where you would make a collect call and then instead of saying your name, you'd say where you're at and I did that. Like we did that with my parents all the time, right? Like, yeah. you know, and and do you know why you did that with your parents? It was because you were lost and didn't have a GPS. That's right. They didn't know where I was. <laughs> I was on a bus at Woodfield, and they had no idea. I was. I could have been in Indiana for all they knew. Uh, but you took you took the two fifty six to Woodfield. I used to do that <laughs> down Golf Road. Absolutely. Down Golf Road. That's it. I, the the Eagle Store there at Bussy and Golf is where I picked it up. Anyways, uh, so that's really interesting. I, I do think uh, when when we think about like the state, I think what do you what from your perspective, what do you see as the biggest opportunity that sits before this state? Uh, obviously, we we we're a little short on the startup funding in compared to in comparison to other areas, New York, San Francisco, obviously, uh, Boston, arguably. What do you what do you see as the biggest opportunity for us to to really catch the eye of investors and get that money rolling and getting that kind of engagement? Okay, so you know, obviously, we have some economic issues, uh, some financial issues that we have to uh, we have to get through, and you know that can't be kicked down the can very uh, very far before you run into problems where you can't execute on some of these things. But I think the best opportunity that we have 
is to provide equity in our education. So in in the state um, and even in this, just the city of Chicago, you have the opportunity to bolster the skill set of the students so that they're learning 21st century skills earlier. But you have to ha- do that in a way that that future workforce looks more like Chicago. So right now, you have a tech workforce. Like if you think of just the tech, first of all, a tech workforce is kind of a misnomer because mm-hmm. every industry is going to become a tech industry. But let's talk about the classic tech workforce. It, it's getting better, but it doesn't look like Chicago. It's still predominantly white and still predominantly male. I think it's last statistic I saw was from Black Tech Mecca back in 2017. Uh, they said that the professional tech workforce is 9% black and CompTIA said that it's 22% female. Well, I, I can tell you fairly certainly that that doesn't reflect the population. And for tech to work, especially in the world of AI, machine learning, and big data, it has to be created by the people that are going to be the ultimate consumers of it. So when people talk about equity for education, it's not just that it's the right thing to do. It's the existential thing to do because the tech won't work unless you have that equity. And I fully agree with with your assessment, but I guess a clarification, or just uh, expand on why is that critical, specifically in, in the data science, the machine learning, and, and the AI space? Why is it critical that we have that kind of diversity? Well, in, the, in that space, everything is related to data, right? You, you take a look at machine learning. How does machine learning work? The machine learns from a data set, and then it builds a model based on what it's learned, and then it goes and does whatever it is that you've asked it to do. Well, if I've trained my model by having it talk to 90% white men, when it sees an African-American or a Latinx girl or woman, it, 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 the, the chances for error get by an order of magnitude higher. Um, and then you think about um, models like, you know, we, where have we seen where have we seen this issue in the past? Well, we've seen it in technology applied to policing, policing models, right? And um, you know, some companies have their um, their searching algorithms, their image searching algorithms out of whack. Why is that? Because the testing data set didn't reflect the population that they were targeting. And I, I, hit, I think you hit on a, a really important point, uh, just to kind of drive it home, is I think for some folks out there, they wouldn't understand that data isn't truth. It can be biased. Is that is that's the challenge that we're really facing, is that these models have bias all into themselves. It's not that data, you know, X doesn't equal four in these scenarios, that the people developing those models you know, they have natural biases that, in, you know, intentionally or unintentionally manifest into the outcomes that they're looking for. Is that is that the challenge that you're saying? That's that's a big piece of it. You can never eliminate bias from data unless you unless you were able to get a data set that reflected the entire population. You're always going to have some bias in it. Actually, even then, you may have some bias in it. Um, but 
you know, the goal of any good model is to minimize that bias um, and still perform really well. And there's, there's a cost to you not doing that. And, it's, and, and quite often it's a social cost. Facial recognition, facial recognition is a big space where, where, that, um, hmm. where that shows so up. So the, the biggest opportunity from your perspective is further engagement in some of these less than engaged audiences' pools of talent. I would, I would just simply say that y- you need to get talent from everywhere. You know, you hear this all the time. Some some politician says it like they invented it, that um, talent is everywhere, opportunity isn't. Mm. That's very interesting. Yeah, I've never actually heard that one. Uh, So I'm going to write that one down and claim it. You got to go talk to more politicians. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I was... uh, I was going to say, well, I was going to take credit for it now. I mean, if, if it's getting mileage, it. I might as well, you know, swipe it. I'll be tweeting that in about 14 seconds. <laughs> Go for it. No, the, uh, it, it's very interesting. I, I guess one of the things that I see is that ooh, at times we get really excited about, you know, Salesforce is coming to Chicago or, or Facebook or, or Google, um, but they're not bringing their, their headquarters here, right? They're, they're, I con- I'm concerned at times that yes, there are good technology jobs here in Chicago, uh, but it it's my concern is that are we becoming an outpost of software talent because of the things that you mentioned before? Our cost of living is very low comparatively to San Francisco and New York. Uh, we do have amazingly hardworking people with ambition, but with a good solid culture and a neighborhood and and connection. Um, is that something that you see concern that in the opportunities as we're growing our own businesses and you bring up great ones before like Coyote, right? Huge success, right? That was, that's an amazing success of, of doing what we do best. Is that, is that a concern that you see as well? Is that something that you, maybe I'm over concerned about? I don't mind when companies use Chicago as an outpost because that means that they're adding jobs. Um, several thousand jobs have been added by the companies that you named. Um, what I do worry about is that the talent pool isn't being culled from everywhere. Um, I want every neighborhood to have, um, you know, you have all this latent talent that is just waiting to be filled with knowledge. And I think we have to be intentional about getting uh, access to that talent and filling them with lifelong learning and skills so that they can be the ones filling some of these jobs. Yeah, no, that's a great point, Adam. And I know you're doing a lot of that work through Genesis Works. What other organizations in Chicago do you feel are really moving the needle with that respect? I think that the Chicago Cook Workforce Partnership is doing um, some really interesting things. Um, By the time this podcast posts, they will have announced something called Chicago Codes, which is going to be uh, taking traditionally low-income people and giving them the skills that they need to become software developers and some of the soft skills that they need and not making it onerous on them, not making it um, incredibly expensive or where they have to sacrifice 
you know, helping a senior at home or, um, you know, their personal circumstances um, to get that kind of training. And it's going to be supported by non-technical training as well, professional development, soft skills training, things like that. That is a, a project that I have been very, very excited about and uh, been looking at it for about a year. That's great. And you said with this new administration, we're going to be focusing more on what we can do in the neighborhoods. So do you think that will reinforce what the city is trying to do, accomplish? Yeah, that's that's my hope. Um, and that's what, you know, that's what she campaigned on. And so I have every confidence that that's what she's going to execute on. And if you go into these, if you go into these neighborhoods, like I said, you have a lot of really great, passionate Chicagoans in those neighborhoods that simply need the opportunity to learn and they will become the future of your technical economy here. So when this podcast airs and we have business owners, uh, innovators out in Chicago, what's one call to action that we can all be doing? My call to action to business owners is to look past your, what I would call traditional sources of finding talent. There's talent coming out of the city colleges. There's talent coming out of workforce programs. There's talent coming out of reconnection hubs. Look beyond the diplomas and start looking at the skills. And here's the other thing. There's um, the skills-based labor market makes it just ripe for new models like apprenticeship models or internship models. Don't be afraid to, to give those a try. And then the third thing I would say is when you do get your employees, make sure that you're creating lifelong learners. Give them the opportunities to get excellent at the job that they have and the jobs that they aspire to. I really like the apprentice concept there that you mentioned. I do think uh, in addition to non-traditional, I think there's some people who do go through college that if that option was available, they would select it. I, I personally think that's something that would have fit me where school is, is something I got through, but I always liked working. I wasn't against the idea of hard work. I just wanted to learn the stuff that I wanted to learn. And so I do wonder if that's that's going to have a larger impact overall, not just, and I do think it's great that it, it's going to be able to provide the opportunity to engage even larger groups of people here in Chicago that traditionally might have not been able to afford that. Uh, and again, I, I think when, as an engineering person, when you think about, you know, uh, thrust and drag and, and how do you make things move faster, it's engaging more people in, in forward motion is is definitely something that's going to help the city grow. Which, which leads me to another question about artificial intelligence, right? As a city that is shrinking, right, has had struggle with keeping uh, residents here the county and the state also struggling at that. Uh, and the country as a whole is actually, from what I've heard, is is not growing. We're not replacing ourselves very well. What is your take on, on artificial intelligence if we're engaging and creating healthier communities by engaging more people who economically were cut out before and now we have less jobs, but because we have less jobs, we don't need as many people. As I just... I'm normally not an optimist, 
but it almost seems like there's a, a confluence of good opportunities there of creating more value for everyone. I don't know. Is that is that is that clear? What I'm I'm driving at there. I think you're right. Um, first of all, there are people that are, and, and right, rightfully so, they're concerned that artificial intelligence is going to take jobs away. And they're referring to this as the fourth industrial revolution, because in every other industrial revolution, you had jobs that went away, but you had new jobs that were created. And so this is part and parcel of what I was saying about making sure that you're creating lifelong learners and that you're giving them the tools and the resources and the skills they need to learn. Because for, uh, for all the jobs that are going away, there are going to be a lot of jobs coming in, and you just have to make sure that you have a workforce that's ready to capture it. I think I may have mentioned this to you. Um, in addition to software development jobs, one of the jobs that's in very high demand in Chicago is cybersecurity specialists. And you can train a entry-level cybersecurity specialist in a lot less time than a four-year degree or even a two-year degree. There are boot camps and there are programs through the city colleges that will teach you enough to be very valuable to some of the biggest companies in Chicago mm. that are starved for cybersecurity talent. Another example. No, it's, it's a perfect one. And when I, I think exactly about that or... Uh, all of the different technology jobs that didn't exist in traditional IT as people are making that move from more of a product-based IT to a or project-based IT to a product-based IT and understanding that, you know, running your own systems, you know, the, the SDEs, the, the different roles that maybe four or five years ago didn't exist and the shortages that exist around those types of more operational not just development, but operational uh, roles that that are now going unfilled. Right. The idea, the, the key to this is, is to find the ways to um, help people that are unemployed or underemployed very quickly participate in that kind of the economy. And you mentioned lifelong learners as as a person that I think I I would say I qualify. I still read more books than I I probably read more books now than I did in college, just because I get to. Jane Eyre was awesome. But, you know, you can only read that for so long before you're going to put yourself to sleep. My wife would debate that. And I, I'm sure my wife would be slapping me in the face right now if she was here, but she's not. So this is my podcast. So I get to say it. There you go. Uh, but <laughs> I guess um, what is it that we can do from your perspective to, to as we're engaging, you know, as leaders in our organizations and people trying to grow businesses and what are some of those things from your perspective? What are some of the lessons that you've learned? on helping encourage that, rewarding that, creating that something that somebody will take personally and make part of their, their own life and their career goals. Right. I think if you, if you need, if you want to be able to have somebody take a learning opportunity personally, you have to have a very diverse set of methods for people to take that education. So for some people, it's getting into a face-to-face boot camp. For other people, it's taking an online course. Uh, for other people, it's some kind of a blended model. For some people, it's on-the-job training. You have to make sure that you have the right blend, the right mix, and the right diversity to make that happen. We, we have something that I'm a big fan of called the Microsoft Partner Program. If you go to academy.microsoft.com, you can see that they've picked about, I don't know, like a dozen areas of 
of very high demand. There's AI, data science, software development, entry-level software development, IT support, uh, cybersecurity is up there, and a series of courses that you can actually get credentialed in those courses and credentialed for the entire track or, you know, just audit them and just take the track and, and learn. I, I think th that has been a way that I've been recommending to people who want a very low-risk, high-reward way of building their skills. But again, you need a, you need a diversity of, um, of methods. Not everybody learns in the same way. No, I agree. And I, I completely agree with that. And I, I think that is part of the challenge is that uh, the modalities of, of learning and, and uh, my wife is a, a teacher as well. So I've, I've learned, I've learned more about leading a company from her than I, I have any, uh, any book. If you can't teach it, I don't think you can lead, uh, especially in today's world where the expectation can't be that you're getting a fully formed workforce, right? You, your expectation should be that you are bringing on people who are directionally correct with their education and, and as far as they are with their technical development. And I think some of the mistakes I see from larger technology firms is that the expectation that I'm going to find somebody with three years of Java experience who's been in the financial industry and has worked with this checklist of technologies that, you know, we refer to as, you know, the orange unicorn of like, you're not going to find that person. They don't exist. Right. 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 That person, that person doesn't exist. And if they exist, they exist in very small quantities. And the other thing I would add to that is make sure that the learning doesn't stop when you're hired. And as a business owner, I agree. And I, I so I have challenges at times because at times it appears to me that that's an individual decision, right? And as a, as a business owner, how do I how do I impact that? How can I create aside from awareness and and like paying for every book, course, whatever online? Is there is are there things that you're seeing that are successful to to create that where um, it's had an impact with organizations. Yeah, absolutely. Every single organization that I have seen that does this really, really well has, they have done the tactical things, but what they've done really well is they've created a culture of learning. Mm -hmm. If it's not in the culture, if it's not in the DNA of the organization, then you're just putting resources in front of people and hoping that, you know, they, they take on the, the learning ethos. But you got to create that culture, and it's got to come from the top. And I do think I, I think there's, you know, we talk about the gig economy and and people that you know, gig economy, not just in like Uber and Lyft drivers, but also contractors and developers and the technical resources. There seems to be a, a broken promise somewhere along the way of organizations view resources as a unit of work, and re, you know, people view organizations as these disloyal collection of, of, you know, uh, people who are just driving towards a, a financial outcome. I think you're right. I guess that's, that's kind of the question is like, if, if that's where we remain organizations, not investing in, in that lifetime leadership or learning and, and more, I really think the real biggest opportunity is, is development of leadership in, in the people that you have, where it's like people are viewed as this, this cog of sorts, this this unit of work, and that they're going only going to stay for nine to twelve months. So why invest? 
I have a neighbor who was interviewing for a job and the prospective employer said that they were really excited to have her. This is out in San Francisco. They would be excited to have her because um, it looks like she has longevity. She hasn't jumped from job to job. By longevity, they meant that she was with her last employer 18 months. Um, <laughs> exactly. The, the gig, and, and, you know, I, I, the gig economy is you can't really put the entire blame on the, the entire blame of disloyalty on a on the individuals and you can't put the entire blame on the organizations that hire them and and the gig economy by the way is also it's not a bad thing we're talking about it like it's a negative it's actually a positive um i think one of the things that one of the opportunities that we have out there is um, a model that's referred to as micro internships there is a company in Chicago that's doing it very, very well, and it's at the forefront of it called Parker Dewey. And the way Parker Dewey works is they allow companies to put on their platform fixed projects that they need to get done and let a you know a, a somebody who is about to graduate from college who's looking at companies apply for it. And, you know, they'll get their list and their portfolio of people who were interested in doing that job. And you pick that person. And, and what happens is that person gets to try the, your company and try your industry before they commit to it. And you get to try that employee before you buy that employee. I've used that platform. I, mm -hmm. I was blown away by the talent that I got out of it. And so that's that's another model that takes some risk out of both sides and it might who knows it might lead to a little more stability in the uh, employment space yeah i think that's really interesting and i've learned recently that university of illinois and northern illinois university are are doing the same thing and in, in terms of assigning projects that's right interesting stuff i guess one last thought before we go um you know we've been doing this thing on the on the podcast here where for each person that we interview, we ask them, you know, if they were in the scene from uh, the graduate where the the older gentleman walks up and says one word, plastics, what would be your one word today? Uh, Benjamin, I have one word for you. Data. Data. Nice. Good nice. answer. It's odd how seminal that scene is, the, the, the plastics one, where it's like, you know, it's kind of like the first time you read, uh, uh, what is it, Vonnegut's book? Um, Slaughterhouse-Five. Slaughterhouse-Five, right. And like at the end where he's walking down the street and he's, it's 1970-something and it, he sees a bumper sticker that says uh, Ronald Reagan for president. Right. And the book's right. written in like 63. <laughs> right, and everybody's laughing at that. Yeah, it's just crazy where it's like, well, you know, this is America. Anything's <laughs> possible. Exactly, exactly. All right, folks. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Adam. It's been a pleasure having you on here. Yeah. And good luck. Uh, we're, we're all pulling for you. We want you to do great things for the city. We all want to live here. We want to be able to stay here. So we're all on board. Let us know how we can help. I'll do my best. Thank you. Thanks, Adam. All right. Take care. And you can subscribe by visiting our website at dragonspears.com slash podcast or find us at iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.